We're kicking off a new teaching series this morning called Overflow, and the the series title really comes from our teaching text, so that will make more sense as we get into that in a couple of moments, I think, um, and really gets to the heart of my hope and my prayer for all of us uh, uh, as we journey through this over the next few weeks together. Um, But really, the series in a lot of ways is founded, and so this morning's teaching is called More Blessed, and I take that straight from Jesus' words in Acts chapter 12. 20 verse 35, where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Who knows that to be true? It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is Jesus' words, not mine. It's counterintuitive. It's certainly countercultural, right? We wouldn't hear many people talking about that in and around our world today, would we? But if we take Jesus at His word and we become what I like to call irrationally generous, we'll discover that He was actually right that, in fact, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll encourage you, let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This will be our primary teaching text for this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, towards the end of, you know, towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament, one of the Paul's letters, second of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And uh, we're going to read through the first four verses there um, for the time being. Acts chapter 8, uh, sorry, not Acts, we've already been to Acts, we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, and, and I'm going to read the first four verses where Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people." This is the Word of God for the people of God. Come on. We say it enthusiastically, right? God's Word is a gift. It's a blessing. It's a treasure. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Hey, that's better. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So so here we are, and hopefully you caught the heart behind the series in verse 2, where it talked about the Macedonians' generosity as overflowing with joy is what it says in verse 2, that they overflowed with joy. And so my heart and my prayer is that that would be true for each and every one of us as we practice generosity, that we would become people who overflow with joy through generosity, that that be true of each and every one of us. See, the people in Macedonia, don't get me wrong, we often think that like generosity, that's just for the people with big bank accounts, right? Big bank balances. That's just for those people who are well off and well to do and all like, no, 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 not true at all. Because Paul's holding up the Macedonian churches here to the church in Corinth by saying, hey, look, they're poor, like dirt poor. I mean, they're they're really poor and they're persecuted. So they're not only poor, but they're suffering as well. And yet Paul's using them as an example to the church in Corinth of rich generosity. I mean, how could people who had so little possibly give so much? It was because they realized this truth. Generosity is not about an amount. It's about a mindset. The Macedonian church realized it's not about an amount. It's never about an amount. It's about a mindset. See, so many times we have mindsets that I think really limit us when it comes to generosity. We do, all of us, in different ways. They hold us back. The church of Macedonia, in fact, it says that they were begging Paul for the opportunity to give, even though they didn't have much. They were begging Paul for the opportunity to give. They wanted to participate in giving, and they had an overflowing joy in in giving in spite of their extreme poverty. And I think this is a powerful 
life-changing truth, but it's one that, if we're honest, really poses a significant challenge to our own current life and thinking. Let me explain what I mean. I think a lot of times we adopt mindsets that we don't really recognize and, and, and appreciate how much they limit us. And one of those mindsets that I know a lot of people suffer from is a mindset that I like to call the, the not enough mindset. Anyone know the not enough mindset? We, we live by this one a lot of the time, right? The not enough mindset, just like I don't have enough time, I just don't have enough money, I mean there's a limited amount of resource and I just don't feel like I ever have enough, is, you know, right, that kind of idea. And what's interesting is about that mindset is I've, I know people who maybe have $100 and feel like that's not enough. I know people who have like $1,000 and feel like that's not enough. I know people who have millions of dollars and feel like that's not enough. See, it's not about an amount. It's about a mindset, right? Um, and, I, and, and many people, maybe you're one of them, live their entire lives dominated by the mindset of not enough. But you see, not enough is not about an amount. It's a mindset. It's just a mindset. And we can shift and change a mindset, Right? See, we serve an abundant God who not only wants to provide more than what we need, but He also wants to meet the needs of others through us. So we need to catch this, church. Like, this, is, this is what's key to our understanding if we want to become generous people. Because I know, as I look around this morning, I go, man, there's a bunch of people here this morning in the room who are already incredibly generous. And you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the people at the 9 a.m. service who came up afterwards and they're like, Clint, thanks for sharing that message. It's so true. I've experienced that over and over in my life. They understand generosity. They get it. They know what I was talking about, right? They've experienced that overflowing joy that the Macedonian church talked about. But then there's some other people in the room who are maybe not so, oh, I won't say that, you know, that, that, right? Maybe, maybe, let's reframe it. Maybe, maybe there's some people in the room who, who, who are warming up to the idea of generosity, and want to be generous, because here's what I know is probably true, is that there's not a single person in the room who doesn't want to be generous, right? We all want to be generous. It's actually one of the cultural values that I think reflects something of the kingdom of God. Our culture values and honors generosity. The kingdom of God honors and, you know, values generosity. It's, it's actually, there's a parallel there, and in different ways. So, I think, I think um, the, the, in order for us to become generous people and grow in this grace of generosity, there's three shifts that we need to move in order to shift our mindset. Shifts that need to move in our hearts and in our minds. So let's unpack those one at a time. The first is the shift from not enough mindset to more than enough. We need to shift our mindsets from thinking, I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough, you know, there's not enough, not enough, not enough, to thinking, no, no, no. God is the abundant provider of all things. And with Him, there's always more than enough right? I mean, this is true in, in the life of our church. You, you may not know some of the, the background story in the life of our church, but we are the recipients of incredible generosity. When our church was planted, we had support from people around New Zealand and overseas who gave incredibly uh, generously to help support and resource the, the launching and founding of a church. So, we always had this sense as a church, we've been blessed in order to to be a blessing, that we should actually continue. So right from the outset, right from the very beginning, you know, and in our movement as the Wesleyan Methodist Church, as a church is planted, it's called a pioneer church. 
And then as you grow and mature a little bit and you get a little bit more, you know, then you grow up to become a foundation church. They have these different categorizations of church, you know, kind of thing. And then as you grow and mature a little bit more, you grow to become an established church. Well, we're, we're now an established church, but we weren't always that way. When we first started, we were a pioneer church. And part of being part of a denomination means that we actually support the wider ministry of the entire movement. So right from the get-go, as a pioneer church, as a found, foundation church, we weren't required to pay the full amount that we, were, that we pay now as an established church to help support the, uh, and contribute towards the wider ministry and other churches and churches that were being planted and other ministers that were being raised up and trained. You know, that, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that we've been part of. But we said right from the outset, no, we're going to pay the full amount, even though we don't have to. We're going to pay the full amount. So our leaders, right from the get-go, said, no, 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 we're going to take, we, we, we've been the recipients of incredible generosity. We want to continue to be generous. We made a commitment early on as servant leaders to say, we're going to give 10% of everything that comes in. We're going to give beyond, the, beyond our own church community, right? At least 10% of everything that comes in goes beyond. Not funding our own ministries, not funding our staff, not funding our buildings, not funding, you know, none of that. Well, this is going to local mission and overseas mission and, you know, whatever, whatever God might lead and put on our hearts. And, and we've only grown in that over the years. So that today, we're giving closer to 16% of what comes in goes out in terms of blessing locally and globally. We want to grow. We've, we've, we've been incredibly blessed and we want to be a blessing. You know, there's that old principle in the Scriptures that say, to whom much is given, much is required or expected, right? And so we want to be the kind of people who honor that, uh, that generosity that we've received. When it came to the purchase of this property that we're sitting in right now, this facility that we get to enjoy week after week. This was a huge step of faith for us. You may have heard the story. We were a small church at the time when uh, God invited us to purchase the building and, and the fit out. It was a massive deal. We were a church of 50 or 60 people. It was way beyond our means, way beyond our abilities. And yet God led us to do that. And He provided over and over and over in miraculous ways in, in terms of His generosity. But we had a decision to make as servant leaders. Like, do we continue giving our 10% or, you know, whatever we were giving? Like, do we continue doing that? Like, we've got, we've got like, huge now uh, bills to pay and, and, and responsibilities and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're like, oh, man, we've got to... And, and, and we said, it, it wasn't even a discussion. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even up for discussion. It was just already pre-decided. No, 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 no. We continue to give. It doesn't matter what else we're doing. We continue to give. We can, and so faithfully, all the way through that time, even though it did not make sense on the, on the balance sheet. You know what I'm talking about? It did not make sense in terms of the budget, the annual budget. It did not make sense. We continued to give over and over and over through that. I remember as we were doing the fit out, we were, you know, we were way stretched financially. We, we weren't quite sure how we were going to pay for, all, all, uh, pay for it all. And, and, um, and we were way stretched, like loaned the maximum we could loan and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember the, you know, we had all these calls from the builder who'd call and say, oh, this cost is going to be way more and the, the structural strengthening work was way more than, you know, what was estimated and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I remember we're getting down towards the end of it and the builder called and he's like, guys, I'm sorry, but I think, you know, we, we originally scoped it and we got up and had a look and we thought that, you know, the roof, the roof would probably last another 10 years, but I just don't think it will. I think we should replace the roof now. And we're like, oh, What? how much is that going to be? He said, $30,000. $30,000 for a new roof. I'm like, we don't have that money. Like, we're, 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 like we're way, you know, to the end of it. Within a matter of days, we received a phone call from someone in the North Island who said they wanted to give $30,000 to our church. Like, 
I, to this day, I can't tell you who that person is. I have no idea who that person is. And so they, they, you know, it's like again and again and again, as we continued to say, you know what, it doesn't, on paper, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It looks like not enough. But we're choosing to trust that it, with God, there, there's always more than enough. And He has proven faithful time and time and time again, right? And, and maybe some of you have experienced that in your own life, where, where you've experienced that over and over and over again. And I can tell you, not just in those miraculous stories of provision, but in the regular kind of weekly and monthly stories of provision, whereby we have never missed or been late on a mortgage payment. We, you know, God has always just continued to provide over and over and over again for us. You see, God provided and gave us more than enough, even though we weren't sure if we had enough more than enough to meet our needs and more than enough to help meet the needs of others, to be a blessing to others. Because you see, in God's economy, this is what's really interesting. When you give to God, you don't actually lose anything. We often think you give to God, you're going to lose, that, that's no longer yours. In fact, the truth is you gain something when you give to God. You gain the opportunity to participate in what He's doing. It's like this crazy economy that, where maths doesn't really seem to work and it, it makes, well, that's why I like to call it irrational generosity because the kind of kingdom generosity that we see throughout the scriptures that we see throughout church history just does not make sense you can't call it rational right the maths don't add up but it's irrational generosity and that's just the way God works and you might be saying to me yeah Clint that's cool that story about the church and all that you might be saying to me and sitting there thinking you know that's that's, that's cool but that's easy for you to tell a story like that because that wasn't your money right that wasn't your money. It's easy, it's easy to give, you know, when it's not your money, right? Anyone, anyone go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's easier to give when it's not your money. You find it easier to give other people's money? Anyone? Maybe it's just me. I'm like, yeah, good point. Let's make that the second point of the talk, shall we? Um, because this is the second shift I think we need to make in our thinking. It's a shift from thinking about my resources to recognizing all that we have is God's resources. Think about the, the generosity prayer we pray every week here in worship. We say, Heavenly Father, everything in all of creation belongs to you. There is nothing I have that you have not given to me. These are the words we say week in and week out in prayer together. And it shapes and I hope it's shaping and forming our mind and making this shift inside of us as we repeat these words in this prayer over and over and over again. That we go, it's not about my resources. Actually, everything I have is God's anyways. And this is all the way through the Scriptures. We see this over and over and over again, that God is generous. He provides for us. Everything we have actually comes from Him. It's not ours. We're not owners. We're just stewards. We're not owners. We're just managers. You read in First Chronicles chapter 29, this is David in the Old Testament speaking. He says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. See, when you start to really gain that perspective and realize that these are not our resources, but they're God's resources, then that makes it a lot easier to give. We're simply stewarding His resources. We're returning to Him a portion of what He's given to us, right? So we need to move our mindset from my resources to God's resources. And when we do that, I think it unlocks something different inside of us. Our eyes get open. Our horizon widens. We begin to look at ways that we can bless other people. You start thinking about how God's given me these resources and what can I do with them? And you start to realize that actually we serve this God that's abundant and wants to provide for my needs, but also help provide and meet the needs and be a blessing to other people through me. See, we're just managers, stewards of the resources God entrusts us to. And I don't know about you, but in most families, in most you know, married couples, they say 
money is one of the top points of conflict or argument or fights. I'm seeing a few smiles and nods going on. Anyone? You don't have to, sh- you don't have to show your hands on this one. But, uh, but within, oftentimes that's because in marriages, there's, 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 there's two, kind, two kinds of people, right? There's the spender and the saver. So show of hands, if you are the saver, you like to keep the, the bank account balanced, you like to have a budget, stick to the budget, live within limit. Come on. Show of hands, savers, hey, praise God, we got a few. Uh, if you're, that, that's not me, by the way, that's my beautiful wife, Jamie. If you are like me, you're the spender, and you would uh, much rather spend or, or shall we say invest God's resources in good things. Um, if you are more like me, then let's see, kind of show of hands around here. There's a, there's a lot more spenders around it than there are savers, uh, you know, praise God. Um, no, that, that, that maybe means that we need to have a different talk another time. You know, there, there could be trouble down the line. Um, but it says this is a common source of argument and common source of fights in, 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 in marriage. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to say that for Jamie and I, while we don't have a perfect marriage, the majority of our fights and arguments have like, not usually about money, not usually about spending. And that's because early in our marriage, right from the very beginning, we adopted a practice as a married couple where we just instituted a spending limit whereby we couldn't spend over a certain amount without getting agreement with each other. You know, so it didn't, it didn't guarantee that we always made really wise financial decisions, it just meant that we made them together. You know what I mean? So we wouldn't fight about them. And, and, whatnot. and when we were married, we were both students and we had no money. I mean, we were, had zero margin at all. So our spend limit, I think, was like $15 or 20 bucks or something really low, like insanely low. Um, and over the years, it's kind of gone up and up and up, you know, in terms of where we're at now. But, but you know, we, we had this just decision between us and it just helped us avoid a lot of fights where anytime you'd need to spend a certain amount of money or want to spend a certain amount, you just have to have the conversation. And come to a point of agreement over it. And, and it was just this really helpful. And, and so when we, when we moved to New Zealand, we were you know, here and planting a church and whatnot, we were actually working to, together. We'd agreed we're going to save up towards a down payment, a deposit on a house. We've been saving for a number of years and, and growing this deposit over time. And, and, uh, and, and, and this is the same, we came across the same time that we were actually purchasing this property as a church. And I happened to be preaching through a series of like um, the minor prophets in you know, the back end of the Old Testament, you know, and, and was preaching through the book of Haggai. Anyone familiar with Haggai? Well, Haggai chapter 1 has this, like, stark message where the prophet Haggai speaks to God's people and says, how dare you live in your flash, the word is paneled houses, luxurious houses, flash luxurious houses while the house of God lays in ruins. And it was just this deep sense of conviction inside my own heart and spirit that I had to go to Jamie and say, Jamie, I, I don't know if this, this might be from God, this may not be, you know, but we need to, I think we need to think and pray about whether or not God might be inviting us to give, invest that deposit we're saving for a house into the church um, building. And that was way beyond our spending limit, by the way. Um, and so we had the discussion, spent about a week or two weeks praying on it, discerning together, um, and in the end agreed, yep, yeah, this, is, this is what God would call us to do. Um, and it was a huge step of faith for us. Um, in fact, I never imagined that we would have the capacity to give as much as we gave in that one year. We gave to the point that the IRD called up at the end of the tax year to say, is this a typo? Do you get this? Because our giving was so disproportionate to our income, they were like, this does not make sense. This is irrational generosity. You see it? And it was all about God breaking something inside of us. It was all about God breaking inside of us our own desire to trust in 
our ability to provide, our ability to have financial security, our ability to, you know, do all this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Everything you have is from me anyways. So if I'm asking you to give this, give it and trust me. And, and believe me, I don't say that to say, you know, and, and, and we still don't own a house, but we don't feel like we're in lack either. We don't feel like we're lacking anything. We've experienced that overwhelming sense of joy and we're grateful for all that God has given us. It's been a tremendous growth journey and journey of faith and, and it was breaking that thing inside of us where we recognize, and look, honestly, God has to take us back to that moment regularly again and again and even just in the last couple of weeks Jamie's been reading a book by the Desert Fathers where again she's feeling challenged um, over trust structures and what we place our trust in if you ever want to feel um, challenged uh, about the lack of simplicity and frugalness in your life go read the Desert Fathers and Mothers Um, they gave up everything you know like everything in order to be fully devoted to God and 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 anyways it's just God keeps reminding us over and over again he is our source he is trustworthy he is faithful, as we sang earlier, right? And when you recognize that God owns everything and we're just managing His resources, it allows us to trust Him fully, absolutely, completely in what we do. So, what do we know? What have we talked about? We need to shift in our mindset if we want to be generous people. We need to shift from not enough to more than enough. We need to shift our mindset from thinking about my resources to God's resources. And lastly, I think we need to change our mindset from I'll give when to I'll give now. See, if you read later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is, you know, uh, down in verse 11, uh, this is again Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he, and he writes, he says this, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. He says, finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed be matched now by your actual giving. You see, what's happening here is Paul's talking to the church in Corinth where a year earlier, they had all said, yeah, 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 we want to contribute to this gift in the church in Jerusalem. We want to contribute. We want to give. They were so inspired by the Macedonian churches that a year earlier, they said, we want to be part of it. They, they stated their intention. They showed their eagerness. And now Paul comes back and says, hey, you want to, you want to actually be, experience that overwhelming joy of generosity? Then you've got to match your actions with your intentions. You can't just have the intentions. You can't just have the eagerness to give. You've actually got to give, right? You've actually got to do it now and follow through on that which you were eager to do. Uh, and this is what he, what he says. And I, I, I just think um, you actually need to give. So you need to step out and be obedient to it now, not later. But I think there's so many of us in our lives that shrink back from this. And we think, oh, I, you know, especially in light of the economy right now, things are so uncertain and interest rates are so high. And, you know, like, I just, I, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll wait until things settle, out, settle down a little bit and the cost of living crisis is over and that's when I'll give. Oh, I'll just wait until I'm, out, you know, out of, out of debt a little bit more and that's when I'll give. Now, we need to be wise and cautious around all of this, trust me. But we can all start now we can all start somewhere remember generosity is not about an amount it's about a mindset so i i think we can all start somewhere and there's there's one story that actually uh, uh, I, I heard recently that really inspires me in this regard it's about a fascinating guy named orville rogers and you can go look him up online orville rogers um this i think there's like a 45 minute youtube documentary kind of thing on, on this guy fascinating dude he was born in 1917 so over 100 years ago, and, uh, and, and fascinating dude. It, it, it turns out his dad left him when he was only six years old, abandoned their family. He didn't grow up with much, but he developed two passions when he was a teenager. He had a passion for Jesus, and he had a passion for airplanes. 
He just loved aviation and airplanes and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, and so he, 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 you know, he remembered as a teenager seeing Charles Lindbergh cross the Atlantic in a plane. And he was just fired him up, you know. So, so he goes off to college and he got a degree in engineering um, and, and actually learned how to fly airplanes while he was at college. And then he graduated from college and signed up to go to seminary thinking, I'm going to give my life in service to the Lord. Um, so seminary is like a Bible college and, and, uh, and because of his passion for Jesus. So, but before he could go to seminary, he got called up to serve his country in World War II. And so he actually had the unique responsibility of training and teaching people how to fly bombers. So during World War II, he was teaching the pilots that were flying the bombers. And after World War II ended, he actually himself flew the B-36 bomber, which is, you know, one of those nuclear-capable bombers, and, and they were always on call just in case nuclear war broke out after, after the war. When he left the military, he then went on to work for Braniff Airlines as a commercial pilot. Commercial pilot for 32 years, long career. Commercial airline pilot for 32 years. And when he turned 50... Uh, fascinating dude. He'd read this book about health and being healthy. And so he, at 50, it, it inspired him to start running, like uh, long distance running. So he picked up running and, and through the rest of his life, he ran a total of 42,000 miles, which I did the conversion on. That's like 67,600 kilometers. Pretty impressive. But get this, at age 90, he started to compete in races. 90. And at the age of 99, he actually became the world champion in the 60-meter dash. I, don't know, I guess at 99, they don't let you run 100 meters, so 60-meter dash. And he was beating out the guy here on the right with the sunglasses who was 92. Beat him by, get this, 0 0.05 of a second. And the, the, the guy, you know, the 92-year-old says, I should have leaned in at the finish line or something, you know. And uh, the, the reporter jokingly said, oh, we'll put it down to your inexperience since you're only 92. Um, you know, Orville, uh, Orville when, uh, when, you know, actually had a, had a huge passion for Bible translation. And, um, and, and, and when, when exploring where that came from, he, he'd learned early in his life that even though he had the Bible in his own language, in his own heart language of English and could read it and could understand it for himself, he realized that there were thousands of languages around the world who didn't have the Bible in their own heart language and people who couldn't understand and read it in their own way. But it was something that he said he felt like he could contribute to and help. But he's not a Bible translator. He doesn't know, he's not a linguist. He doesn't know all different languages or anything like that. He's a pilot, right? So he began to fly airplanes from the USA and moved people over into position and into mission fields so that they could get into the remote areas and they could get to these tribes where people were that spoke these languages to learn these languages to then in, in time be able to then do the long, slow work of translating the scriptures into those languages and so he did this for decades and he did some crazy stuff like flying single engine planes across the pacific just to be able to get into southeast asia and different parts of southeast asia and he just gave and gave and gave of his time but he didn't just give of his time he actually gave of his treasure and he began to fund some of those airplanes that they were using and and they were purchasing to contribute generously to the bible translation efforts and and to his church and to various other christian causes that he was passionate about there's so many remarkable things about this guy right orville Orville Rogers, that really inspire me. But the number one thing that inspires me the most is this. In the 40 years of his working life, in both the military and then as a commercial airline pilot, the total of all of his wages, of his entire salary over those 40 years, was $1.5 million. Now, that sounds like a big amount of money when you sit here and think about it now. But if you run the sums and you divide $1.5 million by 40, you realize that actually that's pretty modest salary. You know, airline, commercial airline pilots didn't, didn't get as paid as much back then. But get this, 
over the course of Orville's lifetime, by the time he was 101 years old, by the way, he died two weeks before his 102nd birthday, um, by the time he was 101 years old, he had given away over $35 million. He'd only earned 1.5, but he'd given away over $35 million. Yeah, that's incredible, right? And, and you go, man, that does not make sense. How does that work? You know, and, and I don't know about you, but I want to be like Orville. See, everything, like the thing is, Orville Rogers didn't wait till he grew up. He didn't wait till he was 101 to give $35 million. No, he started and he actually lived this way of abundance and of generosity throughout his entire life. You see, when he, when he said when, when, he, when he was uh, first married as a young person, they got married early on in his life. His wife, he and his wife, they began to tithe to their church, you know, because they just returned 10% of what was already God's giving back to him. And they felt like, oh, over time, we could do better than a tithe. And so they began to increase their percentage, kind of like we're doing as a church. It's slowly increasing our percentage that they were giving above and beyond the 10%. And they begin to see God's blessings in their life. And they said, you know what? We can live on even a little bit less. And if we, if we save and we can save some more, and then if we invest those savings, then perhaps God would take our gains in our investments and give that as well. And so they would give and he would save and he would invest. And it turns out Orville was a pretty good investor. He invested in a few different things and companies that grew over time, you know, like Walmart, you know, and did quite well for himself out of that, uh, that grew over time. And every time it would grow, he would give it away. And he would do it again. And it would grow and he would give it away. And he'd do it again. And it would grow and, do it again, and over and over and over again. And he got to experience that overflowing joy of abundant life in giving again and again and again. You see, there's a number of things that we can all learn from the life of someone like Orville Rogers. One is that it's not too early to begin. That's why I started tithing as a teenager. That's why we're talking to our kids about tithing. <laughs> you know, it, it's never too early to begin. And, it's, and, and, we, and we also learned it's never too late to start. <laughs> Anyone 102 yet? <laughs> you know, it's never too late to start. I mean, Orville modeled throughout his whole life that he captured all of these mindset shifts and principles that we've talked about. Um, that, you know, he, he realized that God, when, when serving God, it was, it was never about just having not enough. It was always about, no, God is abundant. He always provides more than enough. We need a more than enough mindset and understanding that God is the, the one. He believed that he, and knew that all of his resources were not his. They were God's, right? None of them were his. And he actually modeled stewardship in such an amazing way just how he steward, stewarded God's resources and the choices he made. And he also knew not to give later or to give when he had enough or he was secure. or you know, No, he, he gave now, right away. And he got to see the blessings of that over and over and over again. It's actually what I want for each one of us, church, that we would be people who experience that overflowing joy that wells up from inside of us. And again, that we can, we can live that, that flow out of that gener life of generosity. You know, for those of you, maybe you're already experiencing that. And so my hope and prayer is that you just experience that even more. That God just fans that into flame in your own heart and in your own life. That it grows up inside of you. That you just, you know, God would bless you with more resources. That you can be a blessing to others and give it away and give it away. And experience that overwhelming joy just coming alive inside of you. For those of you that maybe are standing on the sidelines and, and you desire to be generous but not quite sure if you can, you're not quite sure if you'll have enough, and I want to challenge you to push through those mindsets that are limiting you and realize we serve a God who has more than enough to meet your needs and to meet others' needs through you. More than enough. 
And you might be starting today with just like the tithe and just like Orville and his wife did way back and you're saying, you know what, that's our starting place. We're just going to start by returning back to God 10% of what is already His. And, and you know, like I said before, in God's economy, when you give to Him, you're not losing anything. In fact, you actually gain the ability to participate in what He's doing. And there's so many amazing things that He's doing through our church that I'm excited to share over the, the next couple of weeks as well in terms of how this all plays out. But maybe for others of you, actually you need to realize that you don't own any of it, that it's all His. Because it's way easier to give when you, you realize it's not ours anyways, right? It's way easier to give your money when, it's not, when you realize it's His. And you can step out in confidence and say, God, I'm just a conduit, I'm just a vessel for your generosity, flow through my life to bless others. And God even says, when you give to brothers and sisters in, who are in need, it's as if you're doing it to Him, Himself, to Jesus. And He remembers that is what the scriptures tell us. In fact, it says, when you give to the church, it's, it's like supporting the body of Christ. It's like supporting Jesus himself. And so I just want to encourage you, whatever the, it is that's holding you back, maybe you've been intending to do it and you've been waiting for the right time, you've been looking into it, maybe even planning and having some conversation about it and, you know, sometime off in the future. My challenge this morning is, friends, why wait? Don't, don't wait till when. Let, start now. Let's do it now. Whatever it is that God calls you to, He will always equip you to do it. And that includes if He's calling you to be generous. And that's something that we can all start. Every one of us can start somewhere. Because remember, it's not about an amount. Generosity is not about an amount. It's a mindset. And that's where we've got to start. It's a mindset. So my prayer for each one of us is that just like the Macedonian church, that you would be overflowing in joy, in rich, in generosity that that be true of each one of us individually, but that will be true of us as a church, that we would grow in this over and over and over again.